Chapter 43, Paris, France. Late afternoon, July 13th, 1789. Twice, Bill was turned away from the Bastille. First, warned by a helpful prostitute to try again in the morning, when no one responded to his frantic knocks on the fortress gate the evening prior. After which, Bill wound up back in the park where he'd arrived, fashioning a Karankawan wiki-up from a patch of young saplings. The second attempt, that very morning, resulted in being physically escorted from the Bastille grounds after finding it impossible to communicate the novel idea of posting bail. At a loss, Bill gave up walking aimlessly through the Parisian streets before serendipitously spotting the Hotel Rambouillet, its name stirring a vague pang of recognition, and sauntered to the front desk, Poot panting at his side. The proprietress stared down her nose at Bill's insufficient pile of warm coins, waving him along. Eventually, Bill found himself loitering just beyond the light of the Hotel Rambouillet's lobby as the sun set and the winds picked up, the noise and bustle radiating from behind its doors warm and comforting. He caught a glimpse of a luxurious coach and ten sliding up the slick cobblestone streets to alight before the hotel tavern. A finely powdered woman with a miniature pirate ship marooned within an enormous pile of blue and gray curls popped her head out the carriage window, flashing an irritated pout as she turned to speak to the ladies' maids nestled within. Her blue and gold dress, as the uniformed footmen rushed from their posts and pulled her from the lush cab, unfolded into a great giant oval bell of silk and taffeta, the noble women waited patiently for the driver to shout down the irreverent jeers, slapping grasping hands away from the vehicle to clear a path while announcing haughtily that this was Madame du Barry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law and to please stand back. Bill, shrewdly spotting the quickest route inside, closer to the cheerful fire and the food he'd eyed through the smoky tavern glass, took a moment to smooth down his hair, dust his shirt, and straighten his khakis before joining the uniformed footman escorting the Madame du Barry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law in pushing the crowds back, ordering imperiously, Move along now. Nothing to see here. Just a woman who needs a drink. The confused footmen exchanged glances but held their tongues as the crowd dispersed and Bill led them straight to the tavern door swinging it open with a small polite bow, allowing the entire party to pass inside before blending seamlessly with the regular patrons. Bill ordered a large glass of cheap, strong wine, a crust of brown, mealy bread, and a delicious triangle of odiferous cheese, pierced with a rusty knife, his sole utensil. Poot's cold snout materialized from beneath the table to sniff the cheese as the boisterous party of nobles sloshed their drinks and toasted their wine merrily to his left, thrilled to spend an exciting evening on the wrong side of the tracks, away from the tiresome splendor of Versailles. Bill silently counted out his coins on the rickety tabletop, dropping several beneath his stool to the floor beside Poot. Damn it, Bill exclaimed, pushing his chair back to retrieve them the leg of his chair tripping the barmaid, who stumbled before catching herself on the corner of a nearby table, which toppled over from the weight, 
an oil lamp shattering as she careened to the floor with a cry, her tray of bread and ale striking the fireplace mantle and knocking a candle to the plank floor, instantly igniting a rapidly spreading puddle of whale blubber with a tiny whoosh. The frightened noble women rose unsteadily to their feet, screaming Le Fou! The Madame du Barry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law swatted at the smoky flames before the ruffled hem of her voluminous skirts caught fire. Bill reacted instinctively, snatching the paring knife from his hunk of blue-veined cheese with one hand, the other hand yanking Madame du Barry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law across his lap before dipping her back the whalebone paneers swinging her entire skirt into the air as Bill smoothly sliced the flaming ring of fabric from the woman's singed and smoking skirts, pulling it over her calves to hold victoriously in the air as he settled her unsteadily back to her feet. Poot, barking madly at the circle of fire, spotted the unguarded cheese on the table behind Bill and launched herself nimbly into the air, defying known physics while sailing through the burning ring of taffeta-covered whalebone to land unscathed, gulping down the cheese in one great victorious swallow to cheers for her latest trick, because she was a very good girl. One of the footmen doused the flaming ring in Bill's hand with his ale, while Madame Dubarry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law stood speechless. Bill gallantly kissed her hand before she tossed him a purse of coins with a sensuous wink. Bashfully reclaiming his stool, Bill heard the patrons whispering, Oui, I knew it was him. It's him. It's him. Of course. It's the jester of Rambouillet. Demanding excitedly, You, the jester of Rambouillet, you must perform for us here now alone. The crowd chanted, American, American, chante! Searching every recess of his mind for some talent, a pithy monologue, a rousing song, words, to anything. Uh, <clears throat> dearly beloved, he blurted, the crowd quieting to hear. We're gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, before launching into a passable a cappella rendition of Let's Go Crazy by Prince. That was quite the show, a vaguely familiar voice remarked, its owner dabbing his nose with a scented kerchief as he took the seat beside Bill. I thought you were with us. Bill guffawed, recognizing the helpful mysterious man from the park the day before. What had Delphine called him? Jack? No, Jacob. Are you a time traveler, too? Ah, yes, I forget you Americans are a funny lot, aren't you? The man chuckled, though the smile never quite reached his eyes. Look, are you with us, or are you not? We were depending on funds from Merivale, but he never arrived to our meeting. Bill admitted sheepishly, I have to admit, I'm not 100% clear on your politics here about there, Jacob, but I can tell you not to expect Maravelle at any of your society meetings anytime soon. He's been arrested. The man he called Jacob inhaled sharply. This uncle of yours, he was with Maravelle then. Yep, Bill sighed. Jacob was actually named Thomas Boucher. His sainted mother had been English, and his father, 
Henri Boucher, was obviously French, and a known traitor exiled in Scotland. Thomas, therefore, had complicated political leanings and odd feelings about both the French and the English, never fully siding with nor rejecting either if he could make a profit. Therefore, while spying for the English crown, he was also quite active on both sides of the rapidly shifting factions of current French politics and concurrently neck deep in planning the French Revolution. Do you know where they've taken them? He pried. The Bastille? Bill shrugged, warning. But don't bother trying to bail them out. I've already been turned away twice. Is that bad? It's not good. The Bastille is a fort, he chuckled morbidly, explaining. But not just a fort, a prison, where the French king keeps his political enemies, all the weapons in the city, and most importantly, all of the gunpowder, because the king is a tyrant. You must join us tomorrow in the park at dawn and give one of your inspirational speeches, Bill. Then we storm the Bastille and free your uncle and Merivelle. Let the revolution begin. Viva la revolution, Bill toasted, promptly passing out into his loaf of bread. What a strange man. Madame Dubarry's nephew's son's daughter-in-law murmured dreamily over her sausage and porridge the next afternoon before news of the Bastille reached them. Was he really an American, like they said? Her ladies made pride with a jealous sigh. No, she murmured, touching the hand to her cheek he'd kissed after saving her from certain death. He said he was a Texan. <laughs>